0: I saw an interesting cartoon some time ago, Calvin and Hobbes walk into the room, and Calvin says, there aren't many heroes these days. Who's out there to inspire us with a personal example of virtue and self-sacrifice in the name of a higher good? Who can we look up to? Business leaders? Sports figures? Politicians? Celebrities? Heck, we're lucky if they don't end up in prison. And Hobbes says, fortunately, if we can't get inspiration, we'll accept entertainment. Calvin says, as usual, the hero business is up to me. Who can we look up to, he said? The cartoons often reflect what we're really thinking. USA Today reported how college freshmen graded certain leaders in our country. The military got the highest grades, the media got the lowest grades, but I found it interesting that only 18% of college freshmen said that they looked at religious leaders and they would give them an A. Because the questions they're asking are the questions that Calvin asked. Who can we look up to? We need models, we need heroes, we need leaders. And unfortunately, why is it so much that religious leaders only rank about 18% get an A? I think because when we train leaders, be they church leaders, be they business leaders, be they even leaders in your home, you know, parents, um, we educate by and large to make people competent. For example, if you were a college student and you were majoring in business that Take you over to the university, and we give you all kinds of classes to make you competent. Give you information, we give you methods, give you media, give you all kinds of stuff to make you a competent business person. And yet, what's interesting to me is how much does our job rely on competence as opposed to character. I read someplace, and I'm not sure if the figures are, are totally accurate, but in my experience, they've been accurate that only 20% of your job security rests with the skills that you bring to the job. The other 80% rests on how you relate to people. In other words, your character. Sometimes I am asked to be a character reference for people when they are wanting to get a job or whatever if I know them. And uh, sometimes I'm not asked and I find out that I'm a character reference anyway. And they'll call and say, hey, so-and-so put you as a reference. And I usually start with, oh, really? <laughs> and they'll say, uh, in fact, just recently this happened. And I didn't know about it ahead of time, but this, uh, this company calls up and says, hey, so-and-so used to work with you all. Uh, what do you think about, uh, you know, if we hire him? And they asked me some questions, and one of the questions was, would you hire him again? And I said, no, probably wouldn't. But I said, it had no- has nothing to do with his skill. It has everything to do with his character. It's amazing to me when we train leaders, we train them to be competent, and yet we don't train character. But you know, Jesus didn't do this. With Jesus, it was just the opposite as far as emphasis. It wasn't that Jesus wanted a bunch of incompetent people, but Jesus realized that you can have all the skills in the world, but if you don't have the character to go along with it, your skills are worthless. We continue today in our series on our core values, the core values of our church, and today we talk about leaders. All of these core values stem from one core purpose. The whole purpose of our church is this. The purpose of Denton Community Church is to creatively reach out to those who are not involved in a meaningful fellowship and to be used by God to develop them into mature believers in Jesus Christ committed to fulfilling the Great Commission. That's it. That's why we're here. That's the main purpose. And from that come out ten core values, the things that we want to make sure that we're doing as a church. And uh, we're taking a week for each of the ten. The first several weeks we looked at uh, the issue of of love, something that we value. Love not just in word but also in deed. That's from the, the Great Commandment. And then we've got another one from the Great Commission that we value making disciples. Last week we looked at the context in which loving and making disciples happens, and that's in relationships, beyond Sunday morning. And today we come to our fourth core value, that is the value regarding leadership, and this is how we've stated it, that we value quality leadership as essential for a quality ministry. To which you want to say, well, what's quality leadership? What makes a quality leader? It's funny that if you look throughout the Bible... Uh, again, we tend to emphasize competency. You know does the guy know his stuff? Does the lady know her stuff you know where 's her credentials? But the Bible emphasizes not just competency but character. In fact, if you were to look uh, at, at titus chapter one you 'd see all of these things uh, listed down of what a leader needs to be, and then at the bottom, oh yeah, he needs to know the word, he needs to know the Bible. But you see, there is no value in knowing the scriptures if you don't have the character to back it up. In any realm of leadership, not just the church, but in business as well, and in the home as well, you can have all the competency in the world of telling your kids, look, this is how you need to be, but if your character doesn't match up to your competency, your competency isn't worth anything to those kids because they're watching your character. There are various levels, obviously, of leadership, and I'm not just talking today, this core value reflects certainly our staff and our elders, but it also reflects those who attend, because every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is called to be a leader, because what is a leader but someone who leads or guides others, and we are all called to make disciples. And so this message today is not just talking about me, it's not talking about just Brian or David or any of the other leaders, but it's talking about all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Our choices show who we are far more than do our abilities. Our character makes our competence count. So look with me, if you would, in your Bible at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 chapter 6, and we're going to look at a section of Scripture today, a miracle that Jesus did that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And incidentally, there's no miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels except this one and the resurrection. That's it. So this one is important, that each Gospel writer would include it. Why would it be such a big deal? because it's significant that Jesus develops leaders by developing their character. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start halfway down about verse 35. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, The place is desolate, and and it's already quite late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five, and two fish. I don't know about you, but Every time I go to assemble something, I've done all kinds of assembling around our house swing set, bicycles, uh, replaced a dishwasher, changed out something in the back of a washing machine, I don't even know what it was. But last year, my favorite thing so far was our disposal. Disposal goes out. And so I head up to Lowe's, no problem. I get another disposal, same size, you know, everything, and get it home, get the old disposal out unpack the new disposal and I'm halfway down in the instructions and it tells me make sure you apply a thin coat of your plumber's putty to the seal. I'm going plumber's putty? First of all, what is plumber's putty? And why didn't you tell me I needed this ahead of time? So what do you do? Back up to Lowe's, get back in the same section, here's all the disposals and there's your plumber's putty. There should have been a big sign. It says, to all of you who have never installed one of these things before, make sure you get some plumber's putty. Because there's nothing more frustrating to me than to be in the middle of a project and to not have the tools to do it. Because, I mean, you have to stop. You can't go on with the project if you don't have adequate tools to do the job. Well, this is how the disciples felt. To the disciples, their request was reasonable. Jesus Send them away. They're, care- they're concerned about these people. The place is desolate. It's already late. Uh, these people are hungry. Look, send them away so they can get some food. Perfectly reasonable request. And then Jesus comes back with one of his one-liners. You feed them. Now let's pretend for just a second. <clears throat> David, let's go. Um, what do you say after the service? <clears throat> oh, the whole group of us. Why don't we? Let's go over to the Radisson. Okay, let's go to the Radisson. they would be tickled pink to see us all there. We'll go and we'll eat at that big restaurant, one of those, the buffet deal, and we'll all get a second helping. And uh, David, you foot the bill. 200 denarii. <laughs> That'd be 200 denarii, yeah. Well, 200 denarii, you know what that translates to in our day? It's half a year's wages. So, uh, but how would you feel? Well, you'd... The adrenaline that's running through your body at this moment is the adrenaline that was running through the disciples. Because you've got 12 disciples, and you've got a little bit further in the text, it tells us 5,000 men. That means males. That didn't tell us how many women were there, too. So easily, a group of 10,000 people, and Jesus says, you feed them. And so what do the disciples do? Jesus tells them, well, go look, see how much food you have. And so they look around. I mean, can you imagine... All of a sudden, you're supposed to feed all these people, so you start looking around, and they find this kid who's got five loaves and two fish, and they take his lunch from him. (laughs) Give me that. And they take it, and they give it to Jesus, and show him, look, we got five barley loaves and two fish. And the loaves weren't like the Mrs. Baird's bagged thing. They were like basically hard pancakes. Five of them. I wouldn't even feed the disciples, much less 5,000-plus in the crowd. And so, they bring him to Jesus. And the question is, do you think Christ knew the need of the people? Do you think Christ knew that there was only five loaves and two fish? And yet Christ tells them, you feed them. What were the disciples supposed to think? If Jesus is commanding me to do something... I do not have the resources to do, then there must be a source of supply I have overlooked. And indeed there was. Look at verse 39. And he commanded them all to recline by groups on the green grass, and they reclined in companies of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish, and there were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Twelve disciples, twelve full baskets when it's all said and done. What do you think Jesus is trying to teach the disciples here? One of many things. One of the things he's teaching them is, look, I give you impossible commands and I am able to help you fulfill those commands and then some. You each get an, have an extra basket full. I am more than able to strengthen you to do the impossible things I command you to do. And why do you think the number of people are mentioned? 5,000 men. There's probably more than that. Um, Not more men, but more people. But let's just say 5,000 for the sake of of a point. If there's 5,000 men, that means... Each of the twelve disciples have 416 people to feed. So you're responsible for feeding 416 people. Now, could you carry 416 box lunches at one time? No way. What do you have to do? Take a little and come back to Jesus. Take a little, come back to Jesus. Take a little more, come back to Jesus. What was Jesus teaching his disciples? When I give you an impossible command, you take what I've given you, you go and do it, and you come back, repeatedly to me for more. That there must be this continual sense of it's me that's doing it, not you. You must understand it's me that's doing it and not you. So they've gotten the lecture. Now it's time for the lab. Notice the next verse, 45. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. The key word that you want to circle in verse 45 is the word immediately. Immediately. They, They were given the lesson. Now it's time for the lab. You have the lesson with the loaves. You have the lab in the lake. And immediately we're told. Jesus gives them this test. Puts them in a boat and gives them the command. notice what the command was to go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida. Jesus didn't say, I'd like you to go to the middle and drown. He said, go to the, I want you to go to the other side, to Bethsaida. So he gives them a command, and yet we realize it is an impossible command because of the storm. And so about the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus goes to them walking on the water. And notice their reaction when they see him. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, I looked, and this is the only story in the New Testament where the word ghost appears. I mean, these guys are really reaching. I mean, this is the only time ever in the New Testament that we even have the word ghost. And these guys who saw Jesus break bread on the mountain now all of a sudden see this figure doing something obviously supernatural walking toward them. Jesus isn't with them. And they look and they see this supernatural figure coming toward them and say, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, no, no. It's me. Don't be afraid. Great Jesus is gracious and he tells them who it is. And then look at verse 51. He got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were greatly astonished. Now notice this verse. It is so key. They were greatly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. You ever read through the Bible and you wonder, why in the world does this author string together all these different stories? You got the story of the loaves, that's kind of a nice story. You got the story on the lake, oh, he walked on water, that's kind of neat too. And you got the next one, and you got the next one, and it's like some patchwork quilt. It doesn't seem to really have any rhyme or reason. You just kind of take the stories and string them together. And yet, Mark shows us very clearly what Jesus was trying to teach these disciples. they were astonished at what Jesus did because they hadn't gained any insight from what Jesus did earlier. Here we are on the lake, and Mark is talking about the loaves. They They didn't learn anything from the loaves. Obviously, they were supposed to. I think the lesson from this chapter is clear. For leaders and for those whom God is developing to be leaders by molding your character. And it's this, that God calls you to do what you cannot do using what you do not have. God calls you to do what you cannot do using what you do not have. Did you notice the parallels in both these stories? An impossible command, first of all with the loaves, you feed them, second of all with the lake, Go to Bethsaida. Human inadequacy. First of all, with the loaves. What are we going to do? Spend half our salary to feed these people? Human inadequacy. On the lake, the storm comes up. Then both, what's the solution? Jesus blesses the the food and makes it adequate. On the lake, Jesus' presence, Jesus' words, Jesus' power make them adequate to do what he's commanded. Impossible command, inadequate resources, Jesus shows up and makes it adequate. God calls you to do what you cannot do using what you do not have. Has God give us any impossible commands today? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up her wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church Ooh, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right slaves or employees kind of synonymous right (laughs) do what is right in the sight of your employer not just when his eye is on you but also when he's not looking Elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not out of compulsion, but willingly. And to everyone, Paul says, uh, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Any of that strike you as impossible? Yeah, every bit of it. In fact, the Christian life period is impossible for a Christian. We don't have the resources. We don't have the tools to do it ourselves. If we did, we would not have needed Jesus Christ to come die on the cross for our sins. If we could do it ourselves, who needs Jesus? But we can't do it ourselves. And even in the beautiful picture of the cross, we have an impossible command, be perfect, be holy as I am holy. Can't do it. Human inadequacy. We sin. What's the solution? As always, Jesus comes and makes it adequate. When he died on the cross, he paid for our sins, and now he shares his righteousness with anybody who will place their faith in him. God calls you to do what you can't do, using what you do not have. Yes, the task is impossible, but I find it wonderful how Jesus would, would say a little bit later in this same book, he tells the disciples, the things impossible with men are possible with God. I think we, have, we live in such denial of the miraculous here in our day and age. We, we, we deny the miraculous. We deny miracles. Oh, we've got no problem reading it in a book and believing that it happened back then. But to think that the same power that Jesus exercised that day on the mountainside in dividing the bread, the same power that Jesus exercised that, that early morning on the sea when he calmed it, that very same power is alive and well and is able to influence your life? Nah, we don't really believe that. Because we don't live like that. If we did, every single day, we would live in expectation of God to work miracles in our lives. We won't look at in the detail of it, but Mark chapter 6, there is a story we skipped at the beginning. We started at verse 35, but at, toward the beginning of this, Jesus sends his disciples out and he says, I want you to go out, I want you to do all this stuff, and I want you to take nothing with you. What's he teaching them? To rely on him. He's teaching them, You rely on me, you don't have adequate resources. Then with the, the loaves, what does he do? He's teaching them, you rely on me, you don't have adequate resources. Then he does it again with the lake. Rely on me, you don't have adequate resources, I make them adequate. And when Mark says that they didn't gain any insight from the incident of the loaves, he says that while they're at the lake. So what is he teaching us? He's teaching us that what you learn in your life about your finances and how to trust God with finances, you also apply those to your kids, to your relationship with your kids, the problems you have with your kids. That the prayer that God answers over here for this person, you also apply that in faith to the person you've been praying for for years and God's done nothing. You see, they didn't learn it with the loaves, and so they blew it on the lake. We learn it, maybe in the area of finances or in the area of relationships, but we don't carry that over, that same faith in God in all the areas of our life. Do you really think that God can save your marriage? Do you really think that the guy who multiplied the loaves, the guy who stilled the sea, the guy who created all of the world out of nothing, do you think he can mend your marriage? Do you think... He can take care of you financially. Do you really think He can? You know He can. But why don't we trust Him to do that? Why do we panic and say it's a ghost instead of saying, oh, great, I wondered when He was going to show. You know, Mark leaves out something that Matthew put in. And we won't turn to Matthew, but just let me tell you what Matthew said. Remember what happened? They see him, say, He's the ghost. Jesus says, No, it's me. And then, what does Peter say in Matthew? Lord, if it's you, then what? Tell me to, to come to you and walk on the water. What does Jesus say? Come! And what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus. And then he sees the wind and the waves starts to sink and says, Lord, save me. Jesus grabs him. And what does Jesus say when he grabs him? Does he say, Peter, man, that was fantastic. I can't believe you walked on the water that far. That's excellent. Does he say that? No. He looks Peter right in the face as Peter is clinging to Jesus' hand. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, I don't know about you. I've never personally walked on water And so to call Peter a guy with little faith, you kind of go, man, Jesus, you're being kind of hard on the guy. But what did Jesus mean when he said that? What he meant was, you got little faith compared to what you know. What you've seen me do. What you've seen me do, you ought to have incredible faith. Now, let's take it easy on Peter for a second and look at us. Probably not one person here, maybe, that has not seen in some way God do incredible things in your life. Things that you can attribute it to nothing else but the incredible power, miraculous power of God. But we don't transfer the loaves to the lake. He helps us out here, but over here, oh God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Lord, save me. What are we looking at? We take our eyes off of Jesus, like Peter, And we look instead at the wind and the waves. And down we go. What's so wonderful, though, about Jesus is He grabs, He rescues, and He rebukes. Rescue and rebuke, rescue and rebuke. Grace mixed with His standards. Always doing that with the disciples and always doing that with us. You see, hardness of heart is our Lord's major leadership problem with the disciples, and it's his major problem with us. And hardness of heart is knowing, but not putting it into practice. Oh, we know a lot. We're incredibly competent. Our educators have seen to that. But we have character also that we need to balance out at competence. And that's God's curriculum for us. So let me ask you the question, Do you think Christ knows your needs? Do you think he knows your needs? Do you think he knows that you've only got fish and loaves to meet those needs? Sure he does. He knows you more intimately than you know yourself. And he gives you these impossible commands in living the Christian life. Not to frustrate you. Not to make you think, ugh, there's no way, i just forget it. But he does that so that you realize you've got to come to him. You've got to bring them to him. And when you do, and he blesses your meager fish and loaves, you've got 12 baskets left over. God is committed not to just blessing you, I believe, but also blessing you in abundance. There's so much more God wants to give, him, give us if we will just believe in him and not say, ah, it's a ghost, not say, ah, look at the wind and the waves, but look at him. God forms the character of his people into leaders with loaves and lakes, that is, with instruction and with opportunities for application. Now this has been the loaves, you might say. This is the instruction. We're headed out now into the lab We're headed out on the lake. And you know what's funny about going out on the lake? When you, If you're married, let's say, before you got married, you looked at the lake. How did that lake look? Smooth. Right? When Jesus told the disciples, go to Bethsaida, they said, hey, sure, Lord, no problem. They headed out on a smooth lake. And then all of a sudden, you get in the middle of that lake And the weather turns, doesn't it? And you realize, all of a sudden, there is a whole other realm of reality that I didn't know about when I started on this journey. And it's not just in marriage, it's in every circumstance in life. You wouldn't get into it if it looked like a storm. You'd never go. But God gives us the easy weather up front and then gives us the reality to to show us. You're inadequate. You've got to come to me. And so whatever it is that is that is got you distracted now. You're looking at the wind and the waves. Be it a struggle in your marriage, be it a struggle with your finances, being an inability or a struggle to trust God for this certain thing. What does the text teach us today to do? It teaches us not to look at the wind and the waves, not to attribute it to a ghost, not to look uh, towards some other understanding, Not to look at our own resources and say, what are these five loaves and two fish, and I've got all this need. But instead, to come to Jesus, to admit to Him your inadequacy, and to claim the strength that He promises to provide in the circumstance in which you are inadequate. And what's the result? I don't think the twelve baskets left over are simply just a nice tag on the end of a story. I think it's the way the Lord works. That if you will trust Him, you will end up so much more blessed. And I'm not just talk I'm not talking financially, I'm talking about real blessings. You will end up so much more blessed than you ever thought possible. So out of the boat and onto the lake we go. Let's pray. Lord, each of those disciples we know witnessed far greater things than we can ever imagine. All the healings, all the miracles, all the time walking day and night with Jesus, and yet they still floundered. And we find ourselves very much the same as them. can attribute so many wonderful things in our life to your power, and yet somehow today's circumstance seems so different. You have given us impossible commands not to frustrate us but to cause us to come to you and so Lord, we do that now. We place our faith in you. We place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the strength that he alone provides in our inadequacies in everything from salvation to marriage to finances to kids everything in our lives We are inadequate without your strength. And so we rely on you today to strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. See y'all at the Radisson. Somebody bring David.